Hi, everyone. Just popping in before the episode today to let you know that I'm starting a monthly newsletter to stay in touch. So if you'd like to get to know me better, stay updated about the podcast and all things voiceover, head over to my website, stephaniepamroberts.com to subscribe. Welcome to the season two finale of Making It to the Mic. I'm your host, Stephanie Pam Roberts, and my guest today is David Toback. David is a fellow voice actor and the creator of the GVAA Rate Guide. He's an expert when it comes to the nuances and details of rates in the voiceover industry. This is such an important topic for so many reasons, and one that can be complicated. David originally created the guide for himself so he didn't have to scramble when a potential client asked what he charged for something but I'll let him tell you the rest of the story about how it came to be one of the most widely used resources in the industry. So let's listen in. Here's my conversation with David Toback. Well, hello, David. How are you today? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. Well, I'm so glad to have you here. I feel like this is going to be a really, really important episode for our listeners as we're going to talk about rates and negotiation and all of those things that we as voice actors really need to learn more about. So I'd love to start by asking you to tell us about your journey. How did you make it to where you are kind of in front of the mic as a voice actor and behind the mic as a rates and negotiation uh, guru? Well, buckle up. Now, uh, I had a more traditional story. I grew up down in South Florida. I went to UCF in Orlando, University of Central Florida, go Knights, uh, largest school in the country, in case, in case you didn't know. So I went to school there. It was like business. Yes, I'm going to be a businessman. And, you know, it's funny because when I grew up in high school, I was a journalist and I did a lot of other stuff. And, you know, my my journalism teacher said, don't go into journalism. There's no money in it. Uh, <laughs> so this is put into co- context of like how that that's how, you know, the, the time that we grew up is all about the money, not following what you wanted to do in life or what maybe you had a really good skill or a passion for. And so I wound up going to UCF and got a marketing degree and got out and started working and uh, wound up moving home because I lost a job. Got uh, wanted to go back to school for med school, and then chemistry was really hard, <laughs> and so was physics. And I was like, you know, my friends are, are making a lot of money in in home building, so I got into home building and then experienced the crash of the housing market. Um, so that was all fun, you know. I, as a home builder, I was working in marketing, marketing analyst, and then I went to be a financial analyst for another big company. So all these corporate jobs, and they just sucked the life out of me. I just, it just was not me. It felt, it was not honest. It was very, um, you know, what have you done for me lately? Step on, to step over you, to get ahead. Just did not resonate with who I was as a person. You could tell in my work product. <laughs> so I wound up not having uh, that job too long. Actually, they, uh, they wound up firing me three days after my honeymoon. And from there, it was like, now I need to figure out what I want to do. I was trying to get jobs and interview after interview, couldn't get it. So um, I wound up doing some other odd jobs and, uh, I wound up having a really, really bad accident, um, where I almost cut my leg off Wow! that really set me kind of to a different mindset about life. Long, longer story, longer, um, basically, you know, I, I was told I would, you know, most likely lose my leg. And then after I didn't, they were like, you know, you'll be lucky to walk with it without a cane. And, um, I just did... I can squat. Like, I'm pretty much back to normal. Wow. Um, for is, like, I should not have recovered the way I did. There's pr- pretty much, you know, like less than 1%. You know, so a lot of that was just 
determination. But through that whole recovery process, like I had to learn how to walk again. I didn't I didn't sleep in a bed for two months because I couldn't lay flat. I didn't shower for a month and a half because I couldn't get into the tub. Um, so life became really difficult, you know, and things, you know, when you have a traumatic event like that, things really, really change. So going through that, you know, I had to learn how to walk again and do all those things. And I I started to think like, what do I want to do with my life? I'm sitting on a couch with a computer doing specs for my friend's window film company to try to make money. And so I really started to think like, what do I want to do in life? And I was going to go back to school for something in medicine, um, come from a medical household. And just like, why don't I do what I want to do? Like, you know, why wait? You know, and it was like, I kind of had this epiphany of, and maybe it was a lot of the opiates, (laughs) the pain pills. Maybe I have pain pills to thank for my journey to voiceover. I don't know. But I decided to, you know, chase something that I felt drawn to and to do something bigger than just working for some company and going to work and coming home, turning on the TV and not moving until Mm -hmm. I was time to go to bed. You know, that was like my life. And so I found a coach. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't find GVAA. <laughs> I found uh, a local coach that is not the best training. And it was a lot of training to, to a demo, you know, which I think we can talk. There's a lot of people that do that where, sure, you have, you know, $2,000. We'll do a demo with you. Here are the scripts. And we just practice the scripts and we just hammer the reads into your head until you can perform the read that makes sense on mic. Um, but then can you do that afterwards? And the answer is always no. So because you're not being taught how to act and how to be a voice actor, you are being taught how to read a, a read for a demo. That's kind of what happened to me. And, you know, they weren't bad. You know, I still had talent, but I didn't learn what I needed to learn. Uh, but regardless, I found that coach and started coaching, you know, while I was still in the, the early stages of my recovery uh, and got my demos and kind of just put my foot into the world. I I luckily was able to get an agent right away through that coach. And shortly, like while I was with him, he's like, oh, you should check out Facebook. There's groups. And and that's when I found GVAA. And so I wound up, you know, at the end of the training, I kind of real, I kind of started seeing the stuff that like he wasn't doing that GVAA and other people were talking about as I found the internet world of voiceover. Because before it was like, oh, you just got to find someone local. Like, that's what you do, right? You go get coaching from someone local. And I think a lot of people experience that too, where they don't know, hey, you can go online and find the best coaches in the world and not have to go with, you know, the local radio dude that think that says he's a voice actor, but really he's just a radio guy that is is putting things out there for people to to make for him to make money and to try to get people out there and not really in the industry that that we the large the industry at large. So that was kind of the the initial you know introduction to voiceover and and I just kind of really clicked with uh, Christina, uh, Christina Malicia, who is the uh, the owner and founder of GVAA. She doesn't she's not involved anymore because she has a brilliant, wonderful career as as a voice actor uh, and lots of stuff and lots of shows. She's been all over the place. You can look her up. Uh, but we really clicked and she kind of became a little mentor for me. And, you know, I was just ta- taking a class here and there maybe. And one day I got a job got a job off of Craigslist of all places. And they said, what's your budget? And I was like, or what, what do you charge? What's your, what, what would you quote for this? And I said, I, I don't know. I have an agent and I was on voices.com at the time. They tell you what you're going to make. I have no clue. So I said, I text Christina help, you know, I don't know what to charge. And I was, you know, it was my first year, you know, so 
it was pretty early on and I was just going by, you know, I didn't know. I was naive. I'm just like, oh, this is how it works. Your agent and you have these casting sites. No one was talking about quoting. I'd never heard a word about what you should quote for a job. And I don't know if it was really going on or I didn't see it, but it wasn't something that was in my mind. So she gave me some resources and I went and got like the Edge Studio mm-hmm. um, rate guide and or their rates and then Voices.com as well. And I put together a guide for myself because I figured that would be smart for me not to not be not to be in this position again where a client asked me what my quote was and I had to scramble (laughs) like like what business operates that way. You know, I always I always use Coke for this example, but like if Coke didn't know the cost of aluminum, they wouldn't be in business. Basically, you know, what is your overhead? What do you need to survive as a business? What do you want your margin to be? If we don't know those things, like how can you have a successful business? And it goes back like if you don't know how to quote somebody, if you don't know your business well enough to quote somebody, how are you going to do it? So for me, it made perfect sense. And I just created this. I mean, it was very rudimentary, nothing like what the rate guide looks like now. But I created this guide and I sent it to Christina and her head exploded. <laughs> she was like, oh, my God, we need this. I was like, OK. She's like, do you want to help me? Like, oh, this could this could be so big for the industry. Like, there's no rate structures. There's no this or no that. I'm like, uh, really? Like, why Why wouldn't people know what to quote? Like, I, I felt I felt like I was an idiot not knowing what to quote. Right. And then we realized that that's just the way it was for non-union. Nobody really knew what they were doing. So I agreed. We started working on it, and it was a volunteer. And we started, you know, she had all the connections with the coaches and top-tier talent and product producers and things like that. And we just asked and got people's, you know, top-tier uh, talent their rates, coaches, what they've seen, agents, you know, all that stuff. And we put it all together. I put it all together. And that's how the first rate guide happened. What year was that? That was 2016. Um, It was right after VO Atlanta. We actually met with some people um, at VO Atlanta to talk about the rate guide and show them like it was like we were kind of working on like, oh, we can't wait to release this. And (laughs) and so, you know, we didn't know what would happen. And when it when we released it, it just like blew up and it was like overnight it was just like oh my everyone was talking about it and so uh then like two weeks later christina said hey you want to come work for us and i was like hell yeah <laughs> it was like this is like the greatest thing ever and like i didn't know what would happen but they knew that i had a, a good skill set a business skill set an analytical skill set you know it, it it helped out and so i went in i started i just started bringing like more business uh, acuity to gvaa and then in uh, late 2017, that's when Christina started to kind of pull back and we realized, you know, we, we needed to change things and we kind of we kind of reduced the workforce that we had to kind of pivot and make sure that we stayed in business. And I started doing almost everything at that point. So I originally came in to do, I kind of was doing the, like, I was a financial analyst and I did finance stuff and I managed like purchases and did some of the back end, kind of the nitty gritty, uh, boring stuff. Uh, but then it was like, well, no, you can write and you can do this and you're really smart and you can market and like, let's just have you do everything. <laughs> so then in about, you know, August or so 2017, I wound up uh, essentially starting to run the company. You know, from that point forward, I pretty much was responsible for all all operations. And then um, really what that turned into is, you know, running the company. Uh, you know, so David Rosenthal is the CEO and he does a lot of coaching and planning and, sh- and strategy, but I was doing like all of the work work that needed to be done to make the business run and stuff like that. And so planning, coming up with ideas. So it was 
collaborative, but that kind of was where my role went. Um, and that's where it is today still too. So that's how I got in to GVA. It was kind of like this accident. Like I call the rate guide, like my post-it note, which if people don't know about the post-it note story, you know, this company, I forget which one it was, if it was 3M, but they were trying to make super glue and they, they messed up, but they created a glue that would keep sticking and, you know, unsticking and resticking. And they, they're somehow they're like, well, paper. <laughs> and now the post-it note was born, uh, totally not intended, but a happy accident. And that's exactly what the rate guide was. And nobody knew what it would do, you know, that, you know, and it's really weird. Like, you know, Karin, she said something during about, I think it may have been like Friday or at one of the rooms in, in the evocation conference. And she said something, you know, like David single-handedly saved our industry. And I'm just like, that sounds so weird, <laughs> you know, and to think, you know, but she might be right. You know, I think she is, you know, I've, I've been behind the scenes. Like most people, they're learning now, but most people don't know that I created the rate guide. And people say, why doesn't anybody know? And I was like, well, what am I supposed to carry a flag and wave it? Like, hi, I created the rate guide. You know, like it's this weird thing that it happens through things like this, you know, and, and for me, uh, it just doesn't feel comfortable to, to like brag and then put in, for me, it feels like that. Um, but now, and a lot of that was imposter syndrome too. I mean, think like one year in to trying to be into voiceover, all of a sudden I create a rate guide and now I work for GVAA and people overnight think I'm like something I'm not, mm, you know? Right. Uh, and in me knowing the truth, and I'm a very honest person and I'm honest to myself because I used to not be honest for, to myself and make excuses for everything that I, you know, that didn't happen or what I did. There was always an excuse, right? And I, I learned out of that, but... It kind of went, I went really far down that path. And so I didn't feel like I was worthy of any of that because who was I? I just put some, I put some numbers together, you know? Um, and for me, it felt normal, but so many people are like, oh, that's brilliant. Like, <laughs> I'm just like, but, so for me, it felt regular and I shouldn't be, not that it shouldn't be praised, but it just was like weird that that happened. You know, some of it is like, I don't know if I should do that. Like, I always looked up to the other people in the industry but what's weird is that they were looking up to me at the same time. And and I just never really, I never took ownership of that. I was like, oh, little me, little David Toback over here. And now I've kind of broken through that and I'm like regaining my power and through the things I've done. And I've seen what that's done for me. And I, I feel like that's what I try to talk about a lot with rates is coming from a place of power and authority as a business owner, knowing your value and what you bring to the table and why you should be able to command that um, instead of, you know, I think that's really important. Like when, we, when we're confident in what we're doing and we're an authority, you know, then things happen. As the rate guide expanded, it really took shape. And I just had a meeting on Tuesday with a production company in Atlanta that is like, oh, we've been using the rate guide since the day it came out. And they're like, we, we love it. Like, and they, they wanted to meet with me, not knowing that I created the rate guide. They wanted to meet with me to talk about rates and make sure that they're lined up with industry rates to pay people what they deserve. And I was like, oh, yes, this is what we want. You know, <laughs> these are the production companies that we want to work with that really value paint, you know, value talent and in, in what they bring to the table. Yeah, that's amazing. I love hearing that production companies are using the resource. And I, I've had a few clients myself say that they've referenced it, and it always feels good to know that we're on the same page. So uh, just going back to what you said earlier, 
We assume that other businesses that we think of as quote unquote real businesses, like real small businesses, people with like physical products, like of course they know what their product costs or how much it costs to make. But for us, because I think sometimes we get in the mindset of like, well, we're performers and we're not businesses. But these days you have to be both a business and a performer. And I love that idea of like, of course, we should know what our products cost. I mean, our product is ever-changing in terms of like the genres and usage and all that kind of stuff but but we should know what it what it costs to do certain things and I love the you know framing it that way and thinking of it that way because you're right then it gives us so much power instead of a client coming in and saying oh we have this uh, project we want you to do and you're like oh god I'm so scared I don't know what to do what to charge I, I always go back to like painters and electricians because they're professional services that are skilled right and and, and they're very common. Everyone has had a plumber or an electrician in their life do something, a house or something, most likely. And you know that that's, it's a skill and that it costs money. Um, but a plumber or a painter goes into a house and they, they know what they're going to charge. And, and the rate is the rate. And they may budge a little bit, but they're not – like nobody has a plumber come to their house – and they give them the quote and they say it's $1,200 and they're like, mm, my budget's 200 Right. Take it or leave right. it. <laughs> they, they turn around and walk out the door and, and laugh because they know, well, one, you know, they may be working for a company and they can't do that. But two, even if they're independent, they're not devaluing their work. They know what it's it, – they know the, the value of it and they stand behind that. And in voiceover, it feels like there's – you know, we're a lot of very similar people um, – we're spreading vulnerability every day on the mic, you know, and so I think that opens us up to a lot of, a lot of other things that happen when you when you do that. We're like very mental creatures as voice actors, and I think we kind of don't put on that other hat of like we're like oh, uh, it's kind of like the gig, like oh, uh, you'll pay me to work, oh thank you. It's like the desperation type of thing of the starving artist, and I think some people kind of fall into that where it's they're not operating out of that that place of power uh, as like, oh, I'm worth this. And this is what my products cost. Like if, I mean, if you just sell, sold a, if you created a sock company, you started selling socks, you know, you're going to sell them for the price that makes sense, not for, oh, thank God someone bought a pair of socks. And I think that, that mental shift changes how you view yourself and it opens you up to being more abundant. And, you know, things just start to happen because you're not, you're putting yourself in good energy and you're putting yourself out there in confidence and not you're not sending out like unsure energy and uneasy and oh I don't know what I'm doing you know if you're not confident about what you're doing like are you going to really do it well so I think when you're when someone says oh what are you going to quote and they give you the spec and you're just like oh yeah this is it and you get 750 and they're like oh our budget's 300 well you know I can come down a little bit but you know maybe our budget you know we may just be too far apart you know and I wish you well you know it's it's like having the confidence to not just take a job because someone wants to hire you and 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 that's the big thing there. So the rate guide is on the GVAA website, and it is extremely comprehensive. It breaks down every possible voiceover um, genre within the genre, different market sizes, and it's got so much information. So I know I've sent the rate guide to other voice actors who might be just starting out, um, you know, who might be newer to the industry, and they go, "Ah, this is a lot of information." So so what do you suggest? Like, where should people start? We go to the website, we open it up. What do we do? There's an overview. Uh, there's a couple things at the top that 
They're actually links. Um, there's three little sections that kind of give you a little brief overview, and you can click into those. And there's there's another page uh, that leads to that, like one for international rates and and uh, common like terms, like terminology. There's like a breakdown of terminology uh, page that's at the top. So that's good to look at. Um, the rest of the guide, I think it's important to understand it like a table of contents. So you know, if you you're looking at a book and you go to the table of contents you know, you're going to, okay, there's chapter one or, you know, topic, topic, topic. Oh, that's the one I want to see. You go to that one. It's kind of how the rate guide is. And, and the categories are at the top and those there's buttons there and you can press on those and it'll go right down to that section. And so the, the rate guide is super comprehensive, like you said, and it is scary for a lot of people. Um, but I think a lot of it's just getting used to getting used to it. And unfortunately, voiceover rates just aren't aren't uncomplicated and so the guide should not be very uh very um basic it needs to be comprehensive so that you have the right information so i I understand you know i think what you want to look at is each of those sections are different genres essentially tv radio digital we just moved digital broadcast out uh, used to be in a web section. So you have, you know, three digital um, or you have three broadcast pillars. We may make an additional change to sol- to consolidate it um, a little bit more. So keep your eye out. We might do that to make it easier because we're trying to understand that. And, and that's one thing we made this digital change. We moved it out. We had a web usage category that was massive and we moved out digital broadcast because it is a broadcast medium um, so that it would it would feel a little bit more like the others. And and because some people I think don't understand what digital like paid placement really is. And there's a confusion. The clients don't understand it half the time. Like, Oh, it's going on the web. Well, what's the web, you know? So making that more easily digestible is our goal right now. So we may make another change to do that. But right now you have, you know, your, your, your three digital or your three broadcast categories and then you go into like non-broadcast, which is going to be everything that is uh, not put into an advertisement um, that may be non-broadcast. It's more of the narrative type of work, your corporate narration, e-learning. Um, those are all non-broadcast. Uh, e-learning is separated out. Audiobooks is separated out into their own thing because they're pretty big uh, kind of industry or genres within VO on themselves. And then that non-broadcast is kind of the more corporate narration explainer videos, um, you know, things like that, that we, most people get a lot of that type of work. Uh, we have t- telephony, like IVR, um, you know, audiobooks, e-learning. We have a studio fee section, video games and mobile game apps, uh, animation. So all of the areas of voiceover that we can work in, they're, they're all there and categorized. And I think what is the first thing to do is like, where do you, do you, where do you do most of your work? If you're doing, and, and most of the people listening, they're probably going to be non-broadcast because that's where the majority of the work really is uh, around the industry, uh, commercial and a lot of the non-broadcast genres. So start with where you're familiar with. What are you doing? What kind of work are you doing? Oh, I do explainer videos and I've, I've done some corporate narration. Go look and, and find that and kind of review that, that section and, and don't be overwhelmed with everything that's on there, you know, um, Start with what you're doing first and then go, you know, it can kind of go section by section. I think it's something that it takes time to understand how to utilize it. And I understand that. And, you know, that's why like, I do coaching sessions now on helping people understand the rate guide, rates, negotiation, 
all kinds of business stuff in that realm. So I think sometimes the personal attention is good uh, if you need it, but I think a lot of it is just sitting down, not not trying, not being overwhelmed by everything that's there. Maybe go section by section, understand how how it how it works and how it, what it's supposed to do. Then if you have other questions, you know we can follow up. Uh, you know it's one of those things. I mean, if you tried to read the SAG commercial contract, good luck. <laughs> so you know, um, you know those things are. They're complex because this is business. And, and I think people, people don't, they forget that very easily that especially in the commercial side, this is big business. You know, this is not small potatoes. These are brands that are serious about their stuff. And serious about advertising, multi-million dollars invested in their commercial Super Bowl commercials and big, you know, events. Exactly. And so you know, this is business. It's real business. It's not, oh, hey, I, you know, mom and pop needs an explainer video. N- no, like when you're doing something for Coca-Cola, I mean, you know, there's contracts, there's, you know, you should see the contract you're going to have to sign for something. You don't even see that until you've booked something and, and they want, they need you to sign something or, you know, uh, the NDAs are complicated. So this is business and it's not selling art to your friends on Instagram you know, or, or through a Shopify thing where you're just kind of running your little e-commerce business. Like this can be real business. And so you need to be able to sink your teeth into some maybe complex things. Um, that's part of being an entrepreneur. And that's what we are as voice actors. And, and I mean, and honestly, if that isn't going to be something that people can do, then you have a couple options, not doing voiceover or being uh, in SAG, being a complete SAG actor then you don't have to worry about those things because the contracts and your agent do all that stuff. But there's not, you know, the, I think it's like 84% of people in the union don't make health. They don't make enough money to get health, health insurance. You know, that's a, a losing proposition for most people. Um, you kind of have to be, you have to be ready to play at that, that level and, and get into that. And it's high risk, high reward. Again, if you want to be a voice actor, this is the new realm of being a voice actor. You have to be able to run your business, understand your business, um, and deal with complicated things and contracts. If you want to do the big work, that's you got to get to. And so biting off the rate guide and understanding that will be, you know, monumental in, in helping people with their with their business and learning how to quote and, and just operate a business from confidence where they know what they're doing with their business instead of just trying to figure it out all the time. Yeah. And I and I love the idea of putting it into your day, scheduling 15 minutes a day every day for a week mm-hmm. and just going through and making that part of your office hours. And so when somebody emails you, you're not scrambling. Instead of that, you're like, oh, I just read about this particular thing on the rate guide. Perfect. I know exactly where to look for it. And I, and I love that the idea of, you know, just focusing on the genres that you do, because I don't do audiobooks. I don't think I've ever looked at the audiobook section on the rate guide. I don't need to know about it. It's just there for other people. Um, so uh, yeah, I love that. I don't, I'm afraid of audiobooks, honestly. So I, I feel you. Um, yeah, you know, and I always say, you know, how many people, I mean, I could ask you this directly, but like generically, how much money of peop- do people invest in coaching and training? Why aren't they investing in understanding their business or, or rates, you know? And so it's like, and not to say like, hey, everyone send me money, come, you know, coach. But it's like, those things are, you know, Maria Pendolino does stuff too. It's not, you know, we're friends. Um, you know, there's people that offer this type of advice and I see stuff on Facebook like, oh, we just want, we just wish there was a place to get this information. It's like, there is, you know, and, and some of it, that's like the, the issue of getting the word out to people. Yeah. Like some people just, they just don't think about that, but I, I encourage it. It's like, hey, performance coaching 
and and then like understanding the business side and rates that should be like 101 you know they it should be something that you're learning from the very beginning and the problem is that it's very easy to have a credit card and a blue yeti and become a voice actor in 5 minutes and then you don't know anything you're not playing in that game that we're playing in and you don't understand and then you don't even know that you can understand that and so th- there becomes like this whole you know group of actors all the time that just aren't being exposed to the things that we know about and see because they're not in our purview when they're coming in and they just get into the business and they don't do any of that other stuff they do training but they don't learn about their business like i just want to perform and i just want to do the job and i just want to book and then they get the job and they're like what's your rate and you're like oh that would be it'd be good to know (laughs) it's like doing everything but the thing to get you paid (laughs) it's like the most important thing right you could have the best performance in the world but if you can't you know, formulate a quote or or know how to negotiate and budget things, then you might not get hired. Right. Or it's just your business may not really do well. Right. You know, you, you're going to have this up and down. You're not going to come from a place of confidence and you're just going to be kind of flailing around. And usually what happens is it's when the things that are more complicated, even with more seasoned actors, the thing that just is a little rare, that project, you know, and that comes down to the very nitty gritty of understanding usage concepts and and just really understanding rates from a very detailed perspective. Um, Before I used to do rate consultations, like rate quote consultations, and they all turned into hour sessions. So I stopped doing that. But I do like half hour and hour. And so people will book a session and they'll be like, I have a, you know, it's like immediate. It's like so urgent because they don't know what to do. And they're afraid, like, oh, I got to get this back to the client, you know? Right. And it's that, it's that like anxiety that you want to not have in your business. Because maybe there's that time where it's like, this is really weird. Like I'm working with someone now who's doing a big e-learning project for um, Saudi in Saudi. And they don't know what they're really doing and they're leaning on her and she's never done a big project. And so it's like, well, what are they quoting? Like we're kind of going through this. We've done a few things trying to figure all this out and get a contract put together. You know, but for her, she was like, I have no clue what I'm doing. I've never done this before. And it was like this big contract. That's when you do those things. You know, if you, if you know or, or when I say, I think when it's okay to go like, I need help. But if it's like, hey, what, what do you charge for an explainer video? If you don't know that, like, you, you need to know, <laughs> you know, immediately. You need to know like your core, your core voiceover work and what you do and understand it. It's imperative so that you can arm yourself with the in- information. I mean, there's probably so many people doing jobs that are sent out by agents that they have no business doing because they probably don't understand rates. You know, um, there's some of these people listening have agents. I'm sure you've seen them, but there's lots you know, we've talked about Lyft's edits versions, you know, unlimited, you know, they're throwing exclusivity and in perpetuity in for $5,000, you know, all buys, all mediums, everything in the world. Um, you know, if you don't understand that that is taking advantage, direct advantage, then you're missing the game and, and you're doing harm to your business and the industry. We can't just rely on everybody else to guide us and, and hold our hand. Yeah. I think a lot of that happens in VO and I'm guilty of it too. Like we all want to know, like, I'm talking to a friend who's a trainer. I'm like, I feel like I'm in a plateau in, in my health journey. And I kind of want someone to tell me what to do. That's really what it is because I'm, 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 not, I'm confused as to what I should do. And I think that's a lot of people. They don't know what to do. but So they're looking for all the people in the industry that put out information and coaching to tell them what to do so that they can just follow a plan and they don't have to think. And I think that's common with people in general. I think that's just the way we are as humans. Um, and, you know, we're always trying to get the thing done quicker or get to the answer and not enjoy the journey in between. 
And so that's kind of what I think, you know, when we're doing that and we're not honoring ourselves and honoring the industry, we're just letting the people that will take advantage of us take take advantage of us. Now, one thing that doesn't change, and I don't know this for a fact, but I've been told and I'm not in it, but advertising doesn't really change. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that rates for ad spots aren't going down much, you know, um, for time on TV, you know, time on radio. Do you think those things have gone down by 50, 60, 70% in the past five years? I seriously doubt it, you know? So these companies that are doing ad buys, they're trying to get more value, but they're putting it on the backs of us. And so at the end of the day, I mean, I, I truly believe agents and casting directors have an obligation to voice actors to, to, because they're, they're the gatekeepers. But unfortunately, they're not, they're not doing a lot of gatekeeping. Some are, but they're not, there's no, agents just don't have power anymore like they used to. And so it's up to us. You know, it's up to you to, to manage your business, to really, you know, um, want to support and your business and everybody else's business in the in- industry. Because if you take the rate, then that means the rate is going to keep coming back. And now you're going to have that rate coming to you again and again. And that's where we are now, where we have a lot of these $2,500, $3,500, $5,000, uh, jobs that are for massive multi-billion dollar companies that want everything in the world and for a year and they want all these things when that that should be 20 25 30 fifty thousand dollars you know and if you understand that you know like nobody likes to be taken advantage of but i think if you arm yourself with the power and the knowledge to know that like yeah i'm gonna stay i'm gonna stand up to this rate because in the end of the day it's not worth it like there was one for you know a soft drink company that was, in, it was exclusivity for two years, everything for $6,000. So you tell me you're not going to audition for a soft drink company for two years for $6,000. You know, does that make sense? You know, we need to start thinking about that. Are you going to give away potential business for your company for $6,000? Right. Then, you know, with that exclusivity, you can't work in anything that could conflict with that other soft drinks or who knows what the broad, you know, how broad that exclusivity was. Right. And that's the thing too. People, they say like, oh, there's exclusivity, but what? And sometimes they say it and it's like, oh, soft drink. Well, what's a soft drink? Does that mean uh, Topo Chico, seltzer water? Is it only beverages with maybe some food coloring in it that, you know, you know, what does that mean as a beverage? And they get to decide that. And so then they can say like, oh no, no water, no, no, no beverages of any kind. You know, if they say soft drinks, there's kind of a category you can figure that out, but you just don't know. And sometimes you're, you're, you're kind of throwing caution into the wind if you do that. Um, and there's one that came out recently that can't, can't say anything about it, but it was a, a very large pizza company and it was a lot of money, like, you know, multiple six figures, but it was exclusivity for everything, every commercial category. Um, unlimited everything, you know, at least it was enough money where it made sense, you know, and that's where, that's what we need to get to. Like I saw, I was like, this can't be real. (laughs) There's no way that this is real because uh, they don't do this anymore, but apparently they did. (laughs) So I'm not going to complain, but you know, those are the things like that. Maybe, yeah, if you're going to get a couple hundred thousand dollars to be exclusive for a year, I'd take that, you know, but that's what you need to understand. But 6,000, come on, man, you know, uh, that's, 
that's just doing harm to yourself. And, and you know what's going to happen. You book that and you're like, yeah, I booked it. And you promote it. And then everyone knows that you did that crappy rate job. And then all of a sudden, all these, all these, you know, you start seeing all of the auditions that you can't audition for because of that contract. And then you start realizing, oh, well, if I got that one, that would have paid more than what I made for that two year. You know what I mean? And those are the things we need to think about when, when we're looking at those things and, and deciding to take rates. Because, you know, we're the only ones that can control our own destiny with this. And the, the industry, it's not looking great. You know, from that perspective, there's a lot of people that are infiltrating and being disruptors. But we're the talent. Everybody else in the industry needs us. They don't get anything done unless they have talent. So we need to, and that's why we have power. But we, we always think like, oh, God, thank you for hiring me. But no, like they need us. <laughs> they respect us. They, they are impressed by our work because they don't do it. They're not doing it. And so it's getting over that like self of like, oh, I know that I haven't booked in two months and I suck in this whole thing that we do in our heads and knowing like, no, like I'm a badass because they sure can't do what I'm doing, <laughs> you know, um, and that's why they're hiring me. So you have you have you have authority just based on that. And it is tricky because we, you know, you see the paycheck, the, you know, the payout at the moment and you're like, oh, my God, I could use $6,000 to do X, Y, and Z with right now. Um, but, you know, we do have to to keep in mind that if we license our voice for that amount of money for whatever time, then what could we potentially be losing out on? And I know I struggle with that sometimes because, you know, it. It's like, well, how do I know what I'm going to miss? Maybe I'm going to miss nothing. That's true. And, and, and I think this is risk reward, right? And so what's the, what's the likelihood that you're going to book that job next to nothing? So are you really, you know, if there's the reward percentage is so low, like the, the, that you're going to actually book that job. If you had a 25% chance of booking the job, then maybe that makes more sense because you're like, yeah. What am I going to really miss out on for this year? Like, you know, I, I, you know, I could use six grand and, you know, do I really want to do anything for a soft drink company for the rest of the year? Like, I'm willing to take that risk, you know, because there's a, a good chance I'm going to book this. There's never a good chance that you're booking anything in voiceover. So you can't really take a, a, a well-calculated, you know, risk like that because, you know, like I said, if you had a much better chance of booking it, then you could you could play that game. Like, well, is it worth it? Am I going to really get anything? But you're not booking it anyways. So just think how many times you see that. Oh, that's such a great rate. Did you book it? Probably not. <laughs> you know, we, we, we just don't. And that's the fact. It's not that if you're good or bad. I mean, it's just we just don't you just don't book. There's so much talent out there. So I just don't I don't find that to be like I understand it. But if you logically think about it, it doesn't make, doesn't really make much sense because, you, you know, there's not really a chance to get that. And if and if you did get it, you know, now you're going to be stuck for those that year or those two years. Um, so I, I don't I kind of look at it that way. If it was a private client, maybe, you know, it's sending something, then it's a little different, you know, because maybe it's something that you're only auditioning against five or 10 people for because it's a production company that you work for that can be different because now you do have that favor of, oh yeah, good chance I'm going to book this. So I'll take that risk. Um, so I think that's an important thing to understand, you know, and just be honest with yourself. Like we all know we're not booking, you know, if you're booking 5% of the time, you're doing something good. And I think something else that comes up often, especially on 
you know, those pay-to-play sites is perpetuity and clients wanting to be able to use your voice in perpetuity. And that's, you know, kind of another thing that we, another layer that we have to think of. And I know sometimes it feels heavy as voice actors, like, all I want to do is go in the booth and act. I don't want to have to worry about all this other stuff. But um, but it's, it is something to think about, again, like in terms of being a business and how you run your business. And as Maria Pendolino says, a rising tide lifts all boats. And so, you know, if we're all kind of savvy with these things that are coming up in the industry, then, you know, we can help each other. Um, So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, like, is in perpetuity always a no? Is there ever a time that we can say, okay, I feel comfortable with you using that in perpetuity? Yeah, absolutely. Um, In perpetuity does get, for good reasons, it gets a very bad rap. If somebody's putting something on their website, that lives forever. You know, you do an internal corporate narration, that lives forever. An explainer video, that lives forever. There's some areas where, you know, are you going to want to try to track a company using, you know, this video you did on, I don't know, like a toothbrush holder? If you have a successful business, you're going to be tracking all kinds of non-broadcast work that just, it doesn't matter because the, the main key about why you avoid perpetuity is, is when people are making money off of your voice. So when a company says, hey, uh, we have this internal video on, you know, corporate safety training video. It's five minutes. We'd like you to do it. You're not going to be like, oh, that's a one-year usage. They're not making money off of, off of what you're doing. And so the value, you don't need to have usage contracts. Those are purely based for commercial because it lines up with the ad buys. And, and what they're in commercial, uh, sh- I should say broadcast, what they're doing is, you know, they're buying the time and then they're running it and then they may renew it, but they're, they're putting your voice, you know, uh, you're representing their brand and they're making money off those ads. I mean, nobody, no company in the world runs an ad expecting not to make money. You know, if you're doing something for Coke, they, that intrinsically has value because that Coke commercial they're spending millions of dollars on, they're not expecting to get a poor return. And so they're choosing you to sell their product. You know, when you have a, a commer- an ad, something that's going into paid placement, into advertisement, never, ever, ever can it be in perpetuity, ever. And like, I, you just have to say no. I don't care how much money it is because yeah. if they're say, hey, it's too, even for this one I'm talking about, quarter million dollars or whatever it is. If they say forever, that means you can never work again because you have a conflict and, and you don't know if it's running. And if it is, and you get another job and that company, and there was a conflict and you didn't know and they didn't know and they find out, you get sued. That is way more expensive. And you have to give the money back. Like they can, co- they can come after you. So this is why this is business. It's not just, oh, exclusivity. You know, <laughs> no, this, these, these mean real world things and they have real world consequences if you fail them. There's a lot more to it than just, oh, well, it's perpetuity or it's this, it's that. Like there's consequences and you may not know that that is running. In perpetuity, it could run five. It could be somewhere running five years later, and you would not, you wouldn't know, and you would have to keep track of that. And if it's in perpetuity, then you it doesn't matter if it is or isn't running. It could be they they have the right to run that at any point in time. And if you don't know if it is or isn't running, you have to assume that it is. So if the job comes up that says conflict, you know pizza places, you cannot audition. It's a it's a hard hard no for in perpetuity for anything that is going into a paid place placed ad that includes internet radio you know any anywhere where someone is paying for an ad and they're putting your voice into it it has to be no no perpetuity 
and just walk away. Be like, I can't do that. I can give you two years, you know, for this rate or that. You give them options. But if people are like, oh, we just want it. It's like, sorry, I can't do that. Because what you're doing is you're, you're taking yourself out of work. And that is just dumb to do as a business person. You're, you're willingly limiting yourself or taking yourself out of an entire category forever. Imagine that this pizza one, you maybe get quarter mil, but if it was forever, that I could never audition for pizza ever again. But on the other side, the non-broadcast, those things, when they, they just live on websites and they're not being put into an advertisement, just roll with it. Let them, let them run. And unless you really want to try to get usage, it's just, that's just not happening. There's no one-year usage on a corporate narration video. A long story broken down for commercial broadcast, anything paid placement, absolutely no perpetuity. Anything that's non-broadcast, even video games are in perpetuity. You know, audiobooks, e-learning, telephony. Uh, animation, you're getting paid on session time. So the main thing is that commercial, that paid placement, understanding that and not and not getting sunk into that will be huge. So let's say that you get an email from a client and they want to work on a new project with you and you're super excited and they just give you some basic info or it's on Voice123 where you where they're looking for a quote and they don't specify anything. So they say it's a web video and it's two minutes long. So what is what should my next steps be when I'm emailing them back? What other questions should I ask to get clarity so that we can then go to the rate guide for an accurate quote? Because web video two minutes long is sort of neither here nor there. So what are your kind of top questions? Well, the first thing, if they say web video, it's like, oh, is this going to be put into paid placement for advertising? Or is this only going to be on company website and social media? You know, if they say, oh, yeah, we're going to run this on YouTube, that's broadcast. And, you know, you need to do it by region and all that stuff. So I would say if you're going to ask all the questions, all the questions I would say is, is this being run in advertisements or just on internal? Um, If it is run on advertisements, how long and where? Like, what are the locations? Because the web is tracked. You can figure out and know exactly where an ad is being placed. And we've talked with ad agent, an ad agency that wanted to do some stuff based on CPM or, or the impression, the impressions that a digital ad campaign gets. And it was very enlightening because, you know, you could pick 50 cities, one city in each state, and you would know exactly where those are going in, down to like the zip code. You know, you can do extreme targeting and that's what companies do. You know, they're targeting different areas, different campaigns are targeting different stuff. And so... They know, somebody knows, I should say, somebody knows where that buy is going, but it's not always the person that you're talking to. And that's where the trouble comes in because sometimes it's from a production company and and the client's like, yeah, we're going to put this on on the web. Oh, this is digital. And then they say, oh yeah, we have a digital, you know, it's a web video. And and so, you know, it's almost like telephone. (laughs) You know, the client says we want this and then they say something and then we get it and we're like, "What what the hell does that mean? Asking those questions, you know, if it's going to be in a low, you know, the the market, because in the end, you're going to provide a better rate or the best rate for the client. And I always say that you're always wanting to come from a place of like adding value and so or being a resource. So I say, hey, you know, I'm asking these questions so that I can make sure that I'm I'm quoting you the appropriate rate for what you need. So I don't underquote you and I don't overquote you for things that you don't need. Um, and in that way, you kind of give them a little sense of you're taking care of them. You have their best interests at heart. Now, you may not uh, you may not get those answers that you need. So if they say, oh, yeah, it's going into ads. We don't know where. All right, here's the biggest rate. You know, this is for national. 
if there's a different scope, then we can renegotiate. But, you know, not knowing where it's going to go, I, I would need to charge, a, a, you know, an all internet rate or a national internet rate. And then they'll be like, oh, whoa, okay. Oh, actually, it's uh, it's going to be in two states. And, and then all of a sudden they figure it out, you know. But again, it's, it's about knowing what you want to ask and not being afraid to ask. Uh, you're not asking for anything. You're, you're asking information to, to understand things better. And a lot of times, you know, they'll give you what they have. And if they don't have it, they tell you. But understanding that delineation of, you know, what needs to be put in, you know, what's paid placement and what's not is like the biggest thing. Because then, you know, that's going to take you to two separate areas of the rate guide. And that's going to be two different things, you know, usage, um, you know, market size for broadcast. And then the other is just going to be based on the time or, you know, the length of what you're doing. So that's how I, how I would do that for sure. And, and then, and you can just say like, or if they say, oh, we don't know, you say, oh, well, here's what the rates would be for local, regional and national. And I've actually sent the rate guide before because I had a client, they were um, a hospital group. And so not a production company, not somebody who does this regularly, you know, just somebody from the medical group. And they said, you know, we're thinking about doing some commercials, like what would you charge? And I knew that it was a small medical group in like one state. And so I kind of gave like a general overview. And I said, and also like, this is the industry standard. This is what I use. And I sent a link and said, you know, please take a look at this, you know, TV broadcast category. And she goes, oh, my gosh, that was so helpful. Now I totally get it, you know, because clients come from all over the place. And a lot of times, if it's a bigger production company or an agent, casting director, those people have access to this information and it's more kind of in their scope of work every day. But a medical group in somewhere in the Midwest, they have no clue. No, you're 100% accurate. And this is, I'm glad you brought this up because this is a very good opportunity for you to be a resource for your clients and and prove your value because they're, they don't know. And a lot of times clients don't know and they're looking to us to, to help them and to educate them. You know, now you look like a you look like the good guy, you know, because well, and then you look like the expert, right? The expert, yeah, that's the better the better adjective for sure, and and that just gives authority. So that's how you want to field your clients. You're like, oh, they know what they're doing. Like, I, I'm going to listen, <laughs> you know. And if you become the expert for your clients, the game starts to change. And and personally for you too, because that gives you the confidence when. Your client's like, oh, man, thank you so much. Like your client, like, oh, thank you. That helped so much. I totally get it now. There's like this new thing in the in that business relationship where, you know, they learned from you about something. They un- they really understand, like, you know what you're talking about. And that, and that gives, when, when you present with authority, people will take it and they will accept it. And so it's almost like if you're confident, people will think you're confident. And if you're not, then they'll know you're not. It's kind of kind of goes hand in hand. So when you're confident about your rates and helping them and presenting things and hey, let me let me educate you on this. I'd love to. It gives you a better aura of like who you are as a business and it just makes you look like the expert, which is a place you always want to be in because experts make good money. Yeah. And it takes practice and it takes it takes doing it a few times and being like, "Oh, that wasn't so hard." I don't mind asking questions. And I think that that's helpful to know, to realize, too, is that your questions back to them are not making you seem like an amateur. It's quite the opposite. They're making you seem like you're digging for more info because you are an expert in your field and you really need more information. So I think we kind of have to like reframe and flip the script on that too and and feel confident writing back and not being like, oh God, they're going to hate me for asking these questions. No, it's a business relationship. Absolutely. Or I'm wasting their time or something. Yeah. 
there's so much of that. So much of that, like, oh no, what are they going to think? They're not going to want to. I almost feel like it's like how most of my life with with dating has been. <laughs> like when, like, oh no, what is she going to say? What is she thinking? Like, did I say that wrong? <laughs> you know, it's kind of it's like anxiety, you know. And it's 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 uh, you know, and I think the killer of that is to really know what you're doing and just be confident about it, you know. And and that, like you said, when you ask the questions, and, and when you ask those probing questions that are just to the point, like like that, like is this going into paid placement for advertising or is this only internal usage for for website and social media channels? They're like, oh, like you just told them, you know, you to, you told them the questions, you the you know the the information that you needed to ask, but it comes across as as powerful because you're asking the per, very pertinent questions that again, you you know the, the things that you need to know for this job. If you have questions and you say them in a really in a direct way that uh, alludes to the fact that you know what you're talking about, you know, they're going to, they're going to respond with the answer. And if they don't, oh, well, <laughs> you know, it's it, it, sometimes it, I think we have like the, the anxiety comes from a fear of not getting the job. And so it's like, so if you just don't care about not getting the job, then you shouldn't have anxiety. Like you're removing one side of the equation. Uh, you don't have an equation anymore. If you really are confident in what you're doing, then you won't care it's not about caring. It's like not um, not going down to work with people that you don't want to work with for the prices that you don't want to work for. So, and I think, and, that, and that's coming from a place of scarcity. And you're like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to, $300. I don't know if I'm going to make this. I better, I better do this job, even though I know the rate's not good and this, this and that, and I know I shouldn't do it. You don't listen to your gut. And then two weeks later, you get a job for $700. So if you didn't do that, like, yeah, you didn't make that 300, but you made 700 a few weeks later because you got the job that you should have got. And I know it's like, oh, but you missed out on 300, but you also didn't sacrifice your ethics and your standards as a voice actor and a business. And so a lot of it is just knowing that there is more down the road and we don't have to make every single dollar that shows up in front of our face. When we break things down to being only about finance and about money, we lose a lot of stuff in between, you know, and, and I think that that's where we are as a society. We've been programmed that way for years and years and years. Everything's about money. Like I said, my journalism teacher told me don't do it because there's no money in it. Um, we've been conditioned to place our value based on the money we make. And that's just not true. You know, I think that when we run businesses and it's fine to have a, a financial motivation, I'm not saying like, oh, we're just going to live like hermits, you know, but it's more about knowing that things will be fine because you you are doing you're running your business the way that you want to run it for the value that you create and not not coming down you know to it's almost like setting boundaries we've been talking a lot about boundaries since covid right setting up your your mental boundaries and we need to have voiceover boundaries you know, rate boundaries things that we don't break because we are a business and that's what we need to do to protect ourselves and our energy and the minute and, and honestly the clients that want to pay you the le- the least amount, they're the hardest to work for. <laughs> totally. You know, everybody, it, it's so funny. It, it's not even an analogy. It's, it's the absolute truth because everybody, you just said totally, like everyone experiences that client that is paying low, but then they want the world and then they want revisions. They want everything. And it, it kind of, it's like this, it goes hand in hand when they're just like, we want to pay low. We don't respect you. We don't want that. Now we want everything from you. We want this. We're this because we, it's all about us. And then you have the other clients that are like, oh, we love working with you. You're so good. Like, this is just so great. Like, yeah, we're going to pay your rate. Like, it's totally, you know, 
then everything's fun and they don't, you know, it's just, it's just great when you have clients that respect you. But yeah, th- those are the things, you know, you really have to dig down and, you know, say no, like have your boundaries on what you will and won't do. Because uh, if you don't have them, then you, you're not going to know you're, you're going to be again flailing around of, of what should I do? Oh, should I do this or should I do that? And I really think when you really start to just be confident in what you're doing and, and if you build that confidence internally of yourself, your reads change, your, I mean, everything changes. We always say like experience, experiences change uh, an actor. A lot of these things that we do change us and they get, they inform our opinion, our perspective and confidence is one of those. And that's something that we struggle with in voiceover because we hear no more than probably any other profession in the world. So when we hear no constantly, it's very easy to internalize that. And so I think getting past that and being confident with ourselves, you know, making sure that we're, you know, eating well and exercising. Um, meditation has changed my life. So I'm a huge proponent of that. This self-awareness and, and being able to step away and view things from maybe a higher level, like what meditation allows you to do, be more self-aware. You're able to see those things. And, and I think that's helped inform me and, and how I present myself as a person. Finding your internal confidence will help every aspect of life, including your business. And when you're confident, it kind, it's contagious and people can tell. You know, and, and the same thing like we were saying, those questions, when you ask those questions, that comes across as confident and you know your business. So it kind of it all goes hand in hand. I think it's kind of a cool synergy that a lot of times we separate the things that do us good in life as people and humans from what will do our work good as well. And we kind of separate those things into two camps, but they're really combined. They're really conjoined because we are the work that we do, especially as an actor. I think that's I such mean, a great note to end so. on, you know, just being feeling like we're we need to be confident and well-rounded and and speak up for ourselves and and you know take ownership of of ourselves as a business so thank you so much this was so awesome and and so many great pieces of advice and and uh things to think about when we go into the negotiations well it's been my pleasure i i love talking about this stuff it it, i'm passionate about it and um i just want everybody in the industry to kind of kind of come from a place where I'm coming from. Um, and there's people that have, you know, amazing careers. I'm still working to make mine amazing. But, you know, it doesn't matter where we are in our careers. We can still operate from a place of authority and power and confidence um, by doing some of these things. So I'm really passionate about it. I really thank, thank you for having me on and me being able to share my message. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to speaking to you guys in the future out there in podcast land. hope this episode helped to shed some light not only on the rate guide itself, but into this aspect of running our business that isn't always fun. I know, quoting can be confusing and difficult sometimes, whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out. All of us have those days or those projects where we really feel like we just don't know what to do. But thank goodness for the rate guide and people like David who are continually striving to update and make it better for us. I've of course linked it in the show notes, so I hope you'll bookmark it and take a few minutes every day to read over it and get familiar with it. Like David said, coming from a place of confidence is so important, and this guide will definitely help you do that. Well, if you've made it this far, I just want to say a huge thank you for listening this season. I'm going to be taking a short break while I readjust to a new schedule with my husband going back to work and my daughter going to school, but I'll be back soon. Please follow me on Instagram at StephaniePamRobertsVO for all of the updates. Take care, and thanks for coming on this journey with me behind the mic.